Today, we look for the light of love that comes from Jesus as we approach the manger in this week. I hope you've been able to keep up through this season of Advent with the daily devotionals that have been such a blessing to me to remind me each day to look for the light of Christ in the midst of a dark world in which we live and to receive his hope and his peace and his joy and his love as well. We read a lot of the prophets during Advent. We read from the Old Testament a good bit. And some of that is because the prophets have words to say to us because they too were waiting. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. This morning, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 63 gives a beautiful word of how God saves. He writes, he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. If you're in a place of distress today, let me tell you there's good news here. For the place of distress is precisely the place that God our Savior comes and meets us. And that's good news for all of us today. For as we've recounted through this season of Advent, we live in a time when the distress index is pretty high. When we look and listen to the world around us and we find that the lead story is usually still this global pandemic of COVID-19 that seems unrelenting. From there, we turn to gun violence in our schools and in our streets, an environmental crisis that threatens our world, opioid addiction that's tearing apart lives and families, and political enmity that I don't need to expound upon here. It is easy to see that we live in a world of darkness and we need a light. But the gospel of Jesus is that the presence of the Savior comes precisely to that place of darkness and shines the light of God into it. This is the beauty of how God acts. God doesn't wait for things to get better for us. He doesn't wait for circumstances to improve. Our Savior comes to us in our distress. And in the darkness, he becomes our light. That's the good news for all of creation, for us in particular. How many times have we heard people say, when I get my act together, then I will come to God. When I get my stuff together, then I'll come to church with you. God, our Savior, is not waiting for us to get our lives together or get our acts together. He is coming to us in our chaotic distress precisely because what he does when he comes to us is he gets our stuff together. He gets our life together because we can't get it together enough on our own. He takes the broken and the jagged pieces of our chaotic, distressed lives and he puts them together in a God-created, God-ordained, beautiful order that is of his providence. He comes to us in our distress, and he becomes our Savior. That's the beauty of God's love. That's the beauty of what he does for us, and the beauty of that love that reflects his love has these things in common. I love this verse in chapter 63, verse 9, when he says, it was no messenger or angel, 
but it was his presence, his presence that saved them. True love shows up in flesh and blood and person. True love shows up in the moment of distress, in the time of trouble. True love does not send a messenger or an angel. True love does not just send a Christmas card or an Amazon card. True love shows up in person. What makes God's love as seen in the baby Jesus so remarkable is precisely that he showed up when he didn't have to and he came into our distress. He humbled himself to be an infant who needed to be fed by his mother. God did not just say, I love you and call it a day, but he came in flesh and blood. That's why we have this doctrine of the incarnation that God actually put on flesh and it matters for this reason. As Gregory of Nazianzus, the great church father said, if something is to be healed, what has not been assumed has not been healed. If he hadn't taken on the flesh, if he hadn't become fully human as if to heal us from the inside out, we would still be lost to him. The only cure for the human condition was for God to assume full humanity so that he might heal us and make us whole again. That is where love is found. Love is entering into the distress and despair of another when you don't have to because that's what God did in Jesus Christ. Love is voluntarily climbing down into the pit of despair when you don't have to for another because that's what God did in Jesus Christ. You see, God defines what love is by who God is. God is love, as John writes in the New Testament. God gives us its substance and its meaning to the word that we so pervert in our own lives and day. Nobel Peace Prize winner Elie Wiesel observed, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. For at a minimum, to love or hate someone is to have intense emotions toward them. The one thing that love entering into distress, and in this case, entering the world in our human condition, the one thing that that dispels is the idea that God doesn't care. That God is indifferent to the plight of his creation, and particularly to the plight of his children. God's love showed up in our distress in Jesus Christ. His passion burns white hot for his people and his creation. And that love which reflects the true love of God in this world and in our lives is a reflection of that white hot passion involved in the love of God. You know, I say sometimes that I believe that if we were to ask one another, do we really love our neighbors in America today, we'd say, oh, of course we do, yeah. I mean, it says so, right, in the Bible, we've got to do that. I guess we do it. But I believe what underlies that is our assumption of what loving our neighbor is, is just leaving them alone, right? Tolerating them. You do you, I'll do me. That's not what love as defined in Jesus Christ is. 
That is indifference. Love in Jesus Christ is the one that comes in and embraces the other. The one who gets down in the pit beside our neighbor that actively engages with them because they are loved. Think about it this way. When that new infant child is born, that child can do nothing for themselves. And so because we love them, we feed them, right? We change them because they can't do it for themselves. One of the most beautiful pictures of this that I have the privilege to see from time to time is when elderly couples have to care for one another. Maybe because of illness, but the one has to engage and embrace the other's illness and servitude. They don't just say, good luck, hope you get along okay. They have to be there in person to care for the other. Love requires an active embrace as Jesus was that embrace of God for us. Love is not only something you feel, it is something you do. And as tired as I am of hearing the secular scoffers who deride the term thoughts and prayers when some tragedy happens, I think there is some truth lying underneath it. Praying is absolutely important and powerful and part of our calling as believers in Jesus. But coupled with it, if we are sincere in our love, is a presence and an action toward the one whom we say we love. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. Love came in action and proved that the words of God's love were true. God did not just say, I love you, good luck down there. He came in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love in action takes on particular forms in this passage in Isaiah today. He says, in his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. In love, God redeems the story of our lives, the brokenness and the mess in which we find ourselves. The distress in which we live is a place of God's redemption and his redemptive power made tangible. Most vividly of all in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of the world and the redemption of all creation. Think about that word redemption. Redemption begins in a pretty bad place most of the time, right? When you think about it in terms of sports, we talk about a redemption story, it's usually because something bad happened. He missed the shot and lost the game. She blew the putt and lost the tournament. But that is the place where redemption starts, in distress, in failure, in disappointment. But the redemption moment comes when they are back on that stage and they have the opportunity to come through, to burst through in glorious victory from the jaws of defeat. And how many moments of our lives are like that? That we look back and we wonder if God can bring redemption out of that. If God can bring redemption out of that word that we wished we had never said. 
If God could bring redemption out of that promise we wish we had never broken. If God can bring redemption to the broken places of our lives, can God turn regret into rejoicing? The good news, according to the prophet, is that is exactly what God does in his love as he shines it upon us. He doesn't redeem our great moments so much as he redeems our failures, our disappointments, our shortcomings, our sin. And if we reflect that love of God in the way that we love the people around us, we too can start to craft and witness those redemption stories. That's what God's love does. It creates the redemption story. We reflect that when we forgive those who have wronged us and we ask forgiveness of those whom we have wronged. We don't just write people off because they have broken fellowship with us, nor do we sweep things under the rug and hope that nobody sees it. We work for redemption. We work for the light of Christ's love to be displayed and manifest through our lives because that is how we have first been loved by him. For friends, the love that you reflect will only be first the love that you have received from Christ. The final facet of God's love this morning as we read from Isaiah is that God lifted them up. He lifted up his people and he carried them all the way. As if the image of our distress that he used earlier was not stark enough. This is not a pit that we can climb out of on our own. This is not a trap that we can walk out of on our own. Indeed, we need not help, not a co-pilot. We need a savior who can carry us out. We need to be lifted and carried out. And indeed, we are helpless, but that is precisely what he does. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told to illustrate what loving our neighbors is all about. That Samaritan did not see that beaten, broken man by the side of the road, left for dead. He didn't just see him and say, wow, that looks pretty bad. Somebody should help him. He himself lifted up that man and carried him to the place where he could find healing. That's what love looks like. Love is that thing which lifts others up and places them in the place of healing before God. Love is at the heart of who God is. It is he who defines what it is. Karl Barth was one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century. His crowning work is a 12-volume church dogmatics, 10,000-plus pages of writing about theology. He was nicknamed at Princeton Seminary, Saint Voluminous. <laughs> Toward the end of his life, Bart was touring universities in America and giving lectures and having question and answer times following these lectures, one student posed him the question, 
Dr. Bart, you have written extensively on every aspect of theology in church history, it seems. I'm wondering if you could sum it all up in just a sentence or two. And a moment of quiet followed, and Karl Barth replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the deal, folks. At the heart of the Christian faith of the gospel is the reality that Jesus loves us. And that is the light that shines into the darkness of our distress. That love is the one who shows up in our place. That one thing is true and illuminates every other thing that we know and see. We have the privilege to reflect the light of the one who is the light of love in this world. So I pray in this season that we might do that very thing, that we might embody the light of the love of God in Jesus Christ to people around us, that they may know him in the world of darkness. This week, God dropped a song into one of my playlists I was listening to. I've asked Mike to share it with us as a reflection following the sermon today by a singer-songwriter named David Ramirez out of Austin, Texas. It's called Look for the Light. Let us pray this morning. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you show up. We thank you that in the manger we see that physically manifest in Jesus. That you come to us in our distress and that you redeem our lives from the pit and you carry us all the way to heaven. And so, God, I pray for those in this room today that are, that are with us online that are finding themselves in a darkness and a distress. Would you meet them there, Lord? Would you minister spirit to spirit by your Holy Spirit and show us your light? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. upon you peace I wish upon you grace I wish for less of what you want and more of what you need I wish upon you an old self with a heart that stays young but most of all I wish upon you truth when all you feel is down I hope you know that an open mind still knows when to shut things out I wish upon you a brave heart that will always rise above but most of all I wish upon you love 
rise as the sun sets, the moon begins to rise. So even in the darkness, you'll find the light. You'll find the light. You'll find the upon you an easy life. I wish upon you the hard times. I hope you know that both joy and pain each need their moment to shine. I wish you is that are quick to listen, that ears are slow to speak, and a tongue that's slow to speak. But most of all, I wish As the sun sets, the moon begins to rise. Or even in the darkness, you'll find the light. You'll find the light. You'll find the You'll find the light.